Well, uh, well done for making it in this morning. I'm sure as you're driving in, the thoughts are going through your mind of what's the next row going to look like and what's the parking in town going to be like and who's skidded around. And um, We can be so consumed with, with the circumstances on our journeys in, in here, can't we? And we know and believe and love the fact that church is so much more than just about Sundays. Um, but as we gather together, yeah, I, I find myself in the last few weeks realising that on my way in, I don't often think about kind of the amazement of what it is as we gather together. I, I'm more thinking about the rush of Sundays. I don't know if anyone else identifies with this. The Sunday morning, time just seems to fly by, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, you've you got that sort of, the, the meeting starts at 11 o'clock, and maybe I'm serving, so I've got to be here at this time, and trying to get out of the house, and, um, you know, you're racing through the traffic lights, or you can't find where your coat is, or the kids have hidden their, sh- well, one shoe. It's never both, is it? They're never together. And, um, or, or perhaps it's your first time here this morning and you know, on your way in, your question's legitimate, like where, where am I going to park and what's the welcome going to be like and what's the church going to be like? Well, so great to have you, but all symptomatic, isn't it, of when we're coming in to, to a, a Sunday gathering here at church, we don't often think uh, what, what it is and the amazement of us all gathering together, changed by Jesus and coming together to celebrate um, who he is. And thankfully, because I think it's super important, we're uh, going to be looking at it this morning because it's what our passage talks about. So we are in the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. If you're um, new to your Bible, then 1 Peter is a, a letter that was written by a guy called Peter who knew Jesus really well. And this takes place a bit after Jesus been, has been around on earth. And uh, Peter is writing to um, some churches uh, who would be, uh, it's in modern day Turkey, um, and they are facing some difficulties, the, these churches. The, the people there most likely have been uh, kicked out of the city of Rome and kind of scattered all around into these towns and villages. And they're facing some difficulties because they're Christians. So people aren't buying their goods, people aren't building relationships with them, um, they're, they're facing some real sort of opposition and rejection because of their, their Christian faith. And uh, Peter started uh, in the letter to them by uh, looking at us as individuals um, and, and uh, who we are. Uh, and then last week, uh, as Ben spoke, he moved on to um, looking at us individuals and how we relate to each other as church community. But today, we're going to be looking at who that church community truly is and what its role is uh, in the world. So I'm going to be reading from chapter 2 of 1 Peter, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, verses 4 to 10. And as I read through this, then um, it's going to come up on the screens, as you can see. Um, But it's worth just thinking, as I read through, what's this passage about? Sometimes we can get distracted with, with sort of one-off phrases, but just as we read it through, just have in your mind, what, what's Peter saying here? What's he saying to the people at the time? What's he saying to me uh, as we believe this is God's word to us? So verse four, it says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the words as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter begins, he's saying, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Spiritual house. Now, that's a bit of a, a funny word, isn't it? We don't particularly use the term in, in um, uh, modern day society. But when the original readers heard that term built up into a spiritual house, they would have thought of a huge, great building back in Old Testament times, so everything pre Jesus, that was a temple where God dwelt or perhaps even the sort of prototype of that, which was called the tabernacle, a sort of movable temple that they, they built when they were in the desert because they couldn't construct a, a permanent structure. And the thing about this temple that they would have thought of when they heard that word was that it was incredibly special to the people of God. They were so privileged to have this temple. It, it was established by God exactly according to his word. So he told them how to build it in great, intricate detail. This temple housed the very presence of God. So the God whom his people knew as the God who had created the whole world chose to dwell powerfully and intimately in the temple with his people. It was a sign for all of the surrounding nations that God was with his people and a place to connect with and worship God through prayer and through sacrifice. It was meant to look magnificent because he is magnificent. And they loved it. And so Peter's point here in saying that we're being built up into this spiritual house is that as the worldwide church of which we are just one local expression, we are being built into a spiritual, so this is an analogy, it's nothing to do with this building, this is just a building, a spiritual and yet even greater version of all that the temple was meant to be, the church established by him, a place of his presence, built on his word, a sign for all the surrounding nations and anyone who would look in that God dwells with his people, a place to meet with and to worship God, and something that looks magnificent because he is magnificent. You think, oh, great, well, thanks for that, JP. Why, why is that important? It's important because the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, Peter says that we become a brick in this incredible temple. A brick. Peter uses the term here, living stone. It's the same word, stone, brick, rock. We are bricks in this incredible temple with the purpose of showing God to the world. Now I've got a theory 
Anybody want to hear my theory? It's good because I'm going to tell you anyway. My theory is that in the UK society, there is an epidemic of a largely unrecognized disease. Now, before any medics in the room start thinking that I'm talking about something medical, I know nothing about medicine, and so I wouldn't dare to approach the territory. And before anyone starts thinking this is bound to be the British propensity to moan or talk about the weather that maybe some of our non-English members might be able to comment on, it's not that either. I think the disease that is epidemic amongst us as a society is the disease of individualitis. And what I mean by that is that we, we, we live believing that life is solely defined by us as individuals. And we live under this delusion that you can make of the world whatever you want of it. And we even use the term, don't we, that the world is your oyster. And it, and it happens all across our society. So I was watching a, a TV show um, Saturday night a few weeks back. It's called All Together Now. Anybody heard of this TV show? Ben has. He's obviously cool. <laughs> What it is, is it's one of these kind of singing reality shows where someone comes and sings, and I know nothing about singing, but it's just fun to see. And they, they come out and they sing before 100 people, all of whom are uh, employed in the music industry in some profession, you know, singers or uh, people who train in musical theatre or, or whatever. And this person sings, and if, they, if the 100 people like them, they press their buzzer and they stand up and they start dancing. And if they don't, they sit there and look a bit awkward. Um, but the whole point of the TV show is it's, it's all about how can I make myself? How, how can I chase my dream? How can I build my reputation, make my life important? You even see it in the church, this individualitis. You, how often have we spoken about you can change the world. You can fulfill your God-given destiny. And whilst there's some truth in that, the danger is that in reality, the majority of individuals don't change the world in a hugely life-impacting way. That, that's the reality. And, and if your God-given role isn't the one that gets talked about all the time, we need more church planters. We need more home group leaders. If that not is, isn't what God's called you to do, then you can feel hugely undervalued. And that's not how God thinks of you at all. But it can be what, we, what comes across. But worse still, it's just not an, a biblical approach, individualitis. You see, when we read the promises of Scripture, when you read them, do you primarily think of them as applying to you personally or to the people of God as a whole? Is what you are longing for in God primarily for your individual, possibly even God-given dream to be fulfilled or for the church to be all that it is called to be, regardless of your role? You see, Peter's point in verse 5 is that our primary identity is not in the individual bricks that we are, but in the building that we together become. 
Now, some of you, I'm considering that, you're thinking, hang on a minute, did, did you just say that being part of the church is our identity? You didn't mean that it was just our, our role or what we do. Yeah, I said it, it's, it's our identity. And I know some will instantly be thinking, but my identity is as an individual. Perhaps even in, in the job that you have or the nationality that you have, or in your history, or in your circumstances, feeling like they define you. Well, Peter says, if we jump ahead to verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So what is your race primarily? It's that you're chosen. What's your nationality? It's that you're holy. What's your job? It's that you're a priest of the king. Who's your employer? What's the chief influence on your life? It is God himself. What is your role to proclaim his greatness? What's your history? Is that once you were not part of God's people, and now wonderfully we are as the church. So when those questions arise, as they so often do in life, in a myriad of ways, where and to whom do I give my time? What do I aim for in life? Where do I give my money? What city do I live in? First and foremost, Peter says, we are the people of God, the church. We are bricks in his temple. And we're to let that identity shape everything else. So the more that you play your part, the greater and the bigger this temple becomes which means the louder the message goes out across the earth how great our God is. Every chair that you put out, every coffee that you serve, every testimony that you tell of what God's doing in his church, every act of service that you do because you love Jesus and because you love the person in front of you, every decision that you make to honor God, it all increases the shout that Jesus is the Lord of the nations. But we're not just building any old temple. This is a temple with Jesus Christ as its cornerstone. Now, cornerstone's a bit of a, a funny word, isn't it? I'll explain that in a moment. But Peter talks about it in verse 6. So he says in, in verse 6, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And what he's doing there is he's quoting from an older part of the Bible, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was the guy that spoke the words in it. And it's in chapter 28 there. And and what is happening as Isaiah is speaking those words is that the people of God are very much relying on themselves and not on God. They're not particularly following God. They're they're not being a, a particularly great demonstration of who he is. And I'm sure none of us ever have times where that is said of us at all. But um, amidst their failed efforts, God speaks about once and for all establishing the church as the demonstration to the world of what he is like. And he puts Jesus as the cornerstone. Now, I was talking to a couple of architects last week 
And so what they were telling me is that um, in, in modern building, we don't tend to use a cornerstone so much, but they, they did a lot in, in ancient times. And it was the first brick in the building, the, the first stone that would get, get put into the, the building of the temple or whatever building you were building. And the point about the cornerstone was that it defined the whole building. It shaped the whole building. So the direction of this cornerstone shaped the direction of the wall you were building. The type, the type of material of this cornerstone shaped the whole rest of the building. If the cornerstone was off, the building was off. The effect of the cornerstone went throughout the entire building. It's, it's a little bit like, as you've had this experience, where you've been on a team which you think, okay, you know, I play my part in this team, but overall, it, it's kind of average, and yet there's this one person in the team that makes it look incredible. You might have had that in a work context where maybe someone on your team, or maybe even you, are hitting targets way over and above everyone else, and it really kind of brings your team forward. Or perhaps in a sporting context, I remember when I was at school, and uh, we had a rugby team, and pretty average, but we had Richard Baker. And no other school had Richard Baker. And Richard Baker was the fastest person I have ever seen. And he was the most powerful person. And the amount of times that I heard, give the ball to Baker. And he would catch the ball and run and score the try, time after time after time. And he took something that of itself wouldn't have been that great. And he brought the team right forwards into a really impacting team. It's a little bit like what Jesus does for the church. It's why the church is so wonderful. It's why the church deserves our everything. Because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and he shapes us and he defines us. We are bricks in the building and yet we are forever shaped by him and his work in our lives. So when you see the church, you should see Jesus. And that's why it's so painful when you have time, you know, stories in the media or, or whatever it may be of times where the church just hasn't acted in a way that replicates what Jesus is like. It's so painful. It's why when things are tough in church life, it's hard. In the last year or so for us as a church with some leadership transitions, it, it's been hard. And yet, we press on following him because he is faithful to us. And what we are building here, what he is building through us, is his body, is his bride, is the thing that he gave his life for. It's the long-promised solution to the world's problems. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And when the church is doing what it should be, when local churches are built as God would have them, it is the most wonderful thing in all of the earth because he is the most wonderful thing in all of the earth. And here really is where individualitis gets found out. So you want your life to matter? You want to leave an everlasting legacy? You want to find true fulfillment? I want to urge you, give your life to following Jesus Christ by building the church. So what, what's our role in all of this then? How is it that we, that we actually do that? We're saying he's the cornerstone, we're, we're the bricks. What, what is it that we actually do? 
And here is where Peter does a good old mix of his metaphors. So up till now, he's been talking about bricks in the temple, building the structure, as it were. But he says in verse 5 that we are a holy priesthood. Now, what he means there is he's, he's going back to the role of the priests in this great temple that they would have thought of. And the priests were the ones who, they kind of did the business of the temple. So they received people's sacrifices and offerings, and they presented them to God on their behalf. They had a special God-given role, and they had access to God in a way that other people didn't. And that is where each and every one of us who trusts in Jesus finds ourselves. Each one called to to do the stuff of building church. Each one having a role as together we demonstrate to the world what our God is like. Each one of us with full access to God because of Jesus Christ giving it to us. Now, I don't want to dwell there too much because I think the next phrase is actually more helpful for us. So he says, we're, we're, we're this spiritual house, we're, we're priests in, in the temple, but we actually do that by the, the phrases to offer spiritual sacrifices. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, this whole temple on which this idea was built uh, worked through a, a sacrificial system. So the idea was that depending on what it was that you wanted to communicate to God, whether it was that you were sorry or you wanted to worship him or you just wanted to express your devotion to him, you offered a particular type of sacrifice. So a a sheep or a bull or a goat or some grain or, or something else. And you'd bring it to the priests who would offer it for you and that would be your communication to God of how you felt. And as the people came, they were so, their question in their minds would have been, is my sacrifice right? Is my sacrifice good enough? Is my lamb without blemish? And the idea is that Jesus Christ is the once for all perfect sacrifice. So that we no longer need to live in that system. And we no longer need to worry about our own good deeds and good works giving us any kind of access to God because our sacrifice is perfect. Because once for all time, Jesus Christ has guaranteed our access to God and his favor forever upon us. Our role now, as Romans chapter 12 puts it, is that we give of ourselves in expression of devotion and worship to God. So Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual sacrifices. Now, these these could be all sorts of different things. You've already heard an example through Simon's story of his his sacrifices. I want to love God by giving of his money. But it could could be anything. It could be the sacrifice of, of choosing to pray for the church and the sacrifice of your time and having to stir yourself as you pray. It could be in the sacrifice of fasting as you go without food to seek God. It could be in the sacrifice simply of of loving one another and sacrificing the time 
that you would otherwise spend doing something else, to look after that person, to love that person, to visit that person, to write some words of encouragement to that person. But it can even be as simple as the sacrifice of building relationship with someone unlike you. Now, the last few years, God has blessed us wonderfully as a church in increasing our diversity as a church in terms of age, in terms of background, in terms of nationality, and we are so thankful to him for that. And, and a few months ago, I, I went along to what we call our nation's lunch, and uh, this is where people from all sorts of different countries and backgrounds gather together to pray and to seek God. And I, I, the focus for this one was the nation of Nigeria. And uh, we have lots of Nigerians in our church and it's so thankful for that. And uh, I knew that it was going to be a real great kind of demonstration of heaven as people from all different backgrounds come together, loving Jesus, united by him. The food itself was a demonstration of heaven, I tell you. The jollof rice... Oh, glory. Puff, puff. Yeah, like the kind of donut-y things. The, the moi moi is like a kind of bean cake. Oh, glory. It's like heaven had come down. But what I saw there was so beautiful. People of all sorts of different backgrounds and nationalities coming together to worship him. And, and the world would say that you can't build with different types of bricks. You can't build with bricks of, of different sizes and shapes and flavors and feels. But that is the beauty of the church, that we have all got the life of Christ within us, that when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, whatever their background, whatever their circumstances, whoever they are, we are united together because he brings us together. We are all, as verse 5 calls it, living stones, united together by him. And yet, it can be hard, can't it, to talk to someone unlike you. Let's be honest about these things. Let's be real about these things. It can be hard to approach someone who is a different age from you. Hard to talk to someone whose background is totally different. You can be thinking, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, you ask a question and, and the answer's not quite how the conversation usually goes and you don't really know what to do. It, it can be hard. It can be easier to stick with what we know and, and who we know. And you can serve God. You can build this temple's display of his splendor simply by resolving in yourself to go, to t go and talk to someone unlike you after this meeting as the first step in building a relationship with them. I'm sure there's many other areas you could think of as sacrifice, but to the UK society at large, this is just totally unappealing, isn't it? And that's because it is diseased with individualitis. Why would I want to give up anything that gets in the way of my life as an individual? And yet, because God is more concerned with the spiritual building that we become than the individual bricks that we are, our sacrifices are made possible because we are building something that is bigger and greater than ourselves. We are defined by our cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. And through sacrifice, that is actually how he himself 
began the work. As verse 4 puts it, that he was a living stone, rejected by men. And that on the cross, he gave himself in our place to win a people who become more and more just like him, to win a people who display who he is to the world, to win a people whose story is that of verse 10, where we say, once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we'd not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. We're a living demonstration of who our God is. And so if we are to be motivated to live a life of sacrifice and make big life decisions based on our conviction that first and foremost we are part of the church, then we need to come back to the five most important words in this passage right at the start in verse 4. As you come to him. As you come to him. That's how we do it. We come to him. We ask him. We seek him. We seek to model ourselves on him. How do we help people to know God or to find freedom or to discover purpose or to make a difference? We come to him and we seek him. How do we make a difference in this city of Nottingham? How do we build church in Manchester? How do we start churches and cities and nations beyond? All by coming to him. The one who sacrificed his life and who now empowers you. If you don't feel empowered, come to him. We're bricks in his temple and we're empowered to give up our own agenda for the sake of building his glorious, beautiful bride, the church. <coughs> Let's pray together as the, the band come up.